everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. Those of you who are in church, delighted that you're here. And if you're looking in for, from home, thank you for joining us. Now, first things first, I want to make an apology for last Sunday morning. We had a power cut on the main cable coming into church, and it took, in fact, Power and I until after nine o'clock last Sunday night to find the problem and to get the repair done. And as you can see, if you come into church a wee bit later this morning, they've turned up this morning to finish the repair. <laughs> but they have promised to be quiet during the service. So that's good, and it's good that we're at that stage. And I just want to thank everyone who was involved in managing to get that completed for us, and especially George Liggett, who made all the contacts with Power NI and kept everything going. So my thanks to George, my thanks to everyone else who was involved. Now, the Reverend Shaw is continuing to be absent ill. He's informed me that he's recovering and hopes to return soon, but we shall see when that is. Uh, if there is the need for the services of a minister, please contact any member of session or contact myself. And with that, I'm delighted to welcome John into the pulpit. Reverend John Honeyford, we usually see him sitting at the desk at the back, looking after sound and one thing and another, but John, it's great to have you up in the pulpit this morning. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming and for taking our service. Thank you. Now, tonight, seven o'clock, Life Lounge, with a special guest, Dr. Alistair McCracken. And, sorry, 7.30. Come at seven and you'll be early. <laughs> and if you have a moment or two after the service, would you give a hand to move the chairs, please? Now, tomorrow night, Circle of Friends, Muriel has asked me to announce it for you. It's at seven o'clock, Rosemary, you'll be pleased to know. With a special speaker who's coming from Shelter NI. So that's tomorrow night, Circle of Friends. Next weekend is very busy. Saturday, nine o'clock, Men's Fellowship with the Reverend Colin Anderson and let Bill Aiken know if you plan to attend, please. One o'clock to three o'clock. On Saturday again, the Bible treasure hunt for families. Flyers are available, but have a word with Ben if you need any more information on it. And then next Sunday, another busy day. 11 o'clock is our remembrance service in church. 12.30, the soup lunch, and if you intend to come to that, please see Muriel uh, and sign up. And then at 6.30 tomorrow, next Sunday, there's a joint service with Ballycrock and Baptist and Silver Birch Evangelical Churches, and that is in the Baptist Church. So next Sunday, 11 o'clock remembrance service, 12.30 soup lunch, 6.30 joint service in the Baptist Church. Now, all the other announcements are on your order of service but I've just one more piece of information to impart. It's with sadness that I report the death of Mrs. Audrey Houston of Silver Birch Road. Audrey passed away on Thursday, the 26th of October. Her funeral took place from church here last Monday morning, and to her husband, Brian, and her children, Billy, Linda, Gary, Sharon, Andre, Jeremy, and their families, we extend our love and our sympathy. John. That's the information I want to bring this morning. Thank you so much. I always think it's good that they thank the minister for coming before the service, because they mightn't thank him at the end. But we gather together to worship God. In Psalm 119, you know the longest psalm in the Bible, 
verses 43 to 45 says this. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Let's bow for a moment as we prepare ourselves for worship in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather here this morning, we come to learn, we come to acknowledge you, we come to talk with you, and we come to worship you. Guide our time and our thinking that this time would not be wasted, but a blessing for all of us. Amen. Our praise is, and can it be.
Let us join again together in prayer, in our prayers of praise and confession. Let us pray. We thank you, our God, that your church is always present. We thank you that the way we travel in trying to follow Christ has been traveled before us by saints and heroes and ordinary people. We thank you for the inheritance which is ours. But we confess, our Father, that we have not always accepted the good from it. We confess that though our forefathers tried to follow Christ, we have often failed. We confess that we are all too ready to accept, well, things like bigotry from the past without question, without a seeking of truth without realizing your will for us today. Lord, help us to accept what is right and good and proper from the past. And though it takes courage, though we may be abused and scorned and laughed at, help us to reject those things from the past which are not in keeping with your will. Lord, we are often tempted and when we are, we so often give in. We even dare to seek out things which we know you condemn. So is our sinful nature. So is our lack of love for you, our God. O oh, Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive our slackness, our indifference, our arrogance, our lack of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and help and assist us, for we are weak, so that with your help we may leave a true Christian inheritance for those who may follow after us. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. And there's a couple of boys here. Any others like maybe like to come up and join me at the front? Oh, well done. Come on ahead. I want to start by saying something that happened maybe five or six weeks ago at this point in the service. Reverend Mark Shaw held up pages of paper with words written on them and asked you to cheer or boo depending on whether you liked them or you didn't. Any of you remember that? No? But the first thing he brought up was the word sweet, and everybody cheered. I think most of the adults cheered more than the children. And so, oh great, I came down here, I've lost the connection to that, I'll have to come back up to move it. Ah, that's, I'll have to stand back here or lose the Wi-Fi on it. So, I thought I'd show you an old-fashioned sweet shop. All right? Do you like sweets? Yeah? Anybody not like sweets? You're not, you don't particularly... I don't actually eat many sweets either. I like a few mints when I'm driving because it helps if I'm doing long distance. It helps me concentrate, keeps the sugar level up, I suppose. Saves me falling asleep at the wheel, but other than that, I really don't eat many sweets. Any favourites? 
I tried to find out what the favorite sweets were in Britain. And you wouldn't believe it, depending on where you look, you get totally different answers. So I'm going to give you 10 sweets, the 10 favorite. Here's number 10. Ah, it keeps losing on me. There we are. Oh, that got a response. Yeah. Now, number nine might, do you like those? Yeah. Number nine might surprise you. All I can hear is tummies rumbling. <laughs> number eight. Yeah. Number seven. No, in case you're worried, there is no wine anywhere near them. Number five. Yeah, you like those? Number four. Oh, yeah. Number three might surprise you. Yeah, oh, we're getting thumbs up from here. Number two. Yes. And number one may or may not surprise you. Yeah. Now, let me ask you something. If your parents, those looking after you, were to buy you a sweet, I wonder what their favorite sweet to buy you would be. This is a joke, by the way. Any ideas? <laughs> All right, I got some. I haven't seen those since I was a child. Remember, they were big and they changed colours as you worked your way through. Yeah. Uh, just in case you're wondering where the name comes from, it's actually Gaelic. Gob is a Gaelic Irish Gaelic for beak, like in a bird, and Scottish Gaelic it means mouth. So it's something that stops you talking. All right. I told you it was just a joke. Now, imagine this shop, but there's a sign outside, and it says, today, all sweets are free. Oh, wouldn't that be good? Yeah. The trouble is, an awful lot of people are walking past the shop, and they're not even reading the sign. They're too busy going to get to work or back from work or whatever. Some people read the sign and think, oh, there must be a catch, that can't be right. And they go on. Some people come into the shop and they look around and think, oh, I like those and I like those. Oh, and those are lovely. And they go back out. But they don't actually take any sweets. Only a very few people seem to actually accept this gift of sweets. Back in the old-fashioned shops, I know sweets nowadays all come pre-packed, but in old-fashioned shops, do you know how they wear out sweets? They obviously used scales. Now, I'm going to digress totally for a moment. This is more for adults, because I don't expect the children to know the answer to the next one. But does anybody know where they have seen this?
It's in a movie. It's James Bond. All right. And Roger Moore is the star. And it's actually the Monastery of the Holy Trinity. I give you the information for your eyes only. And he climbs up. That's 400 meters high. That's, well, 1,300 feet. It's supposed to climb up and get in. Right? Now, why am I telling you that? It sounds good because I took that photograph a fortnight ago. Um, but why? Because we didn't actually get into that monastery. The guide with us told us that 1,500 steps. I looked it up, it said 140, which was doable easily. But actually, we're on a bus journey. It's in Greece, by the way, if you wonder where it is. Uh, we're on a bus journey from Athens to Thessaloniki. And it was a 12-hour bus journey with stops, so um, we hadn't time. But we went into another one, and that's why I'm showing this and telling this. And being Greek Orthodox, of course, everything is icons and everything's painted. Ceilings, walls, everything. And when you stood in the little chapel in this one and looked out at the wall in front of you, there was a set of scales, like I showed you a second ago. And she said, now, what other way, this is a judgment painted, she says, what other way can you show judgment other than scales? And I just, there has to be some other way of showing it. And I said, I couldn't think of anything. The trouble with it is people see it the wrong way. So everybody seems to assume that in scales you have bad on one side, good on the other, and if you've done more good things than bad things, well, then you're okay. If it's the other way around, then you're not okay. But actually, if you think about what Scripture actually tells us, it tells us this. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even the good ones, now it's still better to do good ones than bad ones, but even the good ones are not perfect. And perfect is God's standard. So even the best we do is not good enough. So if you watch, this will correct this a little bit. Because all that we do is on one side. So what can we put on the other side that will balance this or be good for us? And the answer is there's only one thing, and it's our relationship with Christ. Nothing else works. Not doing good things or bad things or anything else, only that will bring the scale down for us on that side. Nothing else can work. And so, what I wanted to think about, going back to the suites, all these people walk past without reading the sign, and lots of people go past the church every day, especially on a Sunday, and never ever think about what we're standing for. Some realize what it is, but I'm not really interested, and still go past. Some come in, some come in every week 
and think, oh, this is lovely, I like this. But don't accept the gift. And the gift is God through Christ to us. That's the only gift that matters. So I hope you all remember that in life. Well, let you go back to your seats for a moment. As we join together, um, we're going to sing My Lighthouse. <laughs> wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea Whoa. you are the peace in my troubled sea in the silence you won't let go in the questions your truth will hold Your great love will lead me through You are the peace in my troubled sea Whoa. You are the peace in my troubled sea My lighthouse, my lighthouse Shining in the darkness to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore. I won't feel what tomorrow brings, with each morning I'll rise and sing. Oh, 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 oh,
for Sunday Club, Bible Class, and Crash. Apologies for those, anybody going to the crash. There's picture in there, but no sound. Uh, trying to get it solved, but I haven't managed it yet. As we come to our prayers of intercession, I want to bring before you from, I've mentioned before a number of times, Operation World. It's a book or an app on your phone. The app, I think, is still free. The book costs a bit. Um, but it goes around every single country in the world. And so you pray for each country, every country in the world through one year. And the country this year is Sri Lanka. And you, give, you can see some of the information there. 21.9 million people, 70% Buddhist, 8.4% Christian. Just to give you a bit more information, persecution comes in waves and is sporadic. But it is intense when it occurs. Over 250 churches have been destroyed or damaged in recent years. But the persecution is a double-edged sword. It threatens believers, but also fuels church growth and spiritual passion. Its caused, causes are multiple, the hatred of the enemy for God's people, the extremist agendas of the Buddhist and Hindu groups, and historic association of Christianity with foreign oppressors and inappropriate insensitive methods adopted by some evangelists and church planters. Christian presence in Sri Lanka is patchy and uneven, but this is changing rapidly. Most Christians are concentrated in the urban areas of Colombo and Jaffna and on the northwest coast. However, recent evangelism sees Christian witnesses extending into every administrative division in the country. Many trained workers emigrate and few are willing to work in the less deprived areas. There are many new Christians from Buddhist and Hindu communities, so we need to pray for ministers who are willing to serve in the humble and challenging but responsive and open rural environments. That's just to give you a little background. So let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, you are the creator, yet you have always been, are now, and always will be. It is to you that we come humbly and acknowledge your greatness and our need of your presence, your help, and your guidance. We think first of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in parts of the world where they are under threat because of their faith. Give to each your protection and help them to remain strong in the faith. Give them such a presence of your Holy Spirit that others will be drawn to Jesus. Today we think of the situation in Sri Lanka. 
we give you thanks that even with the destruction and damage to many churches, there are those willing to work in more rural areas where the gospel has been more readily embraced. We pray for those in Buddhism and Hinduism who are living without Christ in their lives. And we pray that their ears may be open to the truth. In our world, we also need to pray for the situation in Israel, Gaza, and Ukraine. Lord, in all of the danger, death and destruction, bring peace. May people's hearts be changed, that strife would cease, and love and harmony begin. We think also of those families who have died just recently in the earthquake in Western Nepal. Lord, in the sadness, we just come and ask for your presence, as we do so also for Audrey Houston's family. May each one who is suffering such loss at this time just have that sense of your love around them. We think as well of Christians living in the West, especially those in the UK and Ireland. Lord, this is a difficult time for truth. Let each show the reality of your presence in our lives and greatness of your love. Let the falsehood of modern thinking would be shown for the lie that it is, and more and more would come to know Christ as Saviour. Lord, bless your church, we pray, in such a way that it may again be bold and strong and loving to all around. We pray that you would be able to provide comfort and inspiration for those who feel detached from you at this moment, those who feel that you may not be present in their daily lives or find it difficult to turn their thoughts towards you. We pray that they would be able to once again experience your ever-present and glorifying nature and realize that you have never left them and were always there waiting. We thank you, Lord, for providing us the time and space to live and breathe both physically and spiritually. We thank you for your patience and grace for all those who feel spiritual crisis in their lives. Most of all, we thank you for being beside us at all times, whether we recognize it or not. Lord, we offer you these prayers in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We continue our worship now with your offering. Your offering will now be received. Thank you. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this day which you have made. We would worship you and praise you with all our hearts, for out of the abundance of your fullness you have blessed us. We would bring our tithes and offerings that others might hear the story of your love, grace, and mercy. Accept these gifts and bless them for your purposes. In Christ's name, amen. Turning to God's Word, as it's found in the letter of James, chapter 1, and we're reading verses 19 to 25. So let us hear the Word of God. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Amen and may God bless to us this reading from his word. Our prayers on the screen should be, who you say I am. Some of you may not know this, but if you've been at Life Lounge, you will. causing hiccups, Chris, is it? Please come. Who am I that the highest king would But he brought me in Oh, his love for me Oh, his love for me Who the sun sets free Who is free I'm a child of God Yes, I Grace, you're not While I was a slave to 
simple question. Do you ever find the Bible difficult? I think we all do. I don't mean those passages with a long list of almost unpronounceable names. I mean those bits that at first glance don't seem to make any sense, such as a little bit in today's reading from James 1, 1 to 5. You remember it? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, law that gives freedom. Think about that. Does that even make sense? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And continues it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Freedom. So I've given this address a title, I want to break free. And so you can guess what's going to happen next. I want to break free. Do that. 
Sorry, George, I know you wanted me to play the whole thing, but I'm not doing it this morning. For many today, the lament is, I want to break free. And it's repeated over and over again, I want to break free. If only I were free to do what I want when I want. If only I were free of this or that responsibility. If only I were free of health worries or money worries. If only I were free of the boredom of my work. If only I were free to be my own boss. If only I were free to stay in bed to 11 o'clock every morning. If only, if only, if only. But what is freedom? Many, when they think about freedom, imagine that it's simply doing whatever they want, when they want, and being answerable to absolutely nobody. Most alcoholics, drug abusers, and smokers imagine that at first, until they realize that that sort of freedom is actually a prison sentence worse than anything that the state could inflict, because it ultimately ends in their early death. Freedom is so important that some go to extreme lengths to break free. For example, in the Mariners Museum in Newport News in Virginia, just south of Washington, there's a special display of a rickety homemade aluminium kayak this tiny makeshift boat seems oddly out of place in the midst of displays for impressive naval vessels and artifacts from significant battles in, on the sea. But a bronze plaque tells museum visitors the story behind the kayak's heroic makers. In 1966, an auto mechanic named Lorendo and his wife Consulo decided they could no longer live under the oppression of Cuba's totalitarian regime. After spending months collecting scrap metal, they placed the pieces together to make a boat just barely big enough for two small people. Then Lorendo jury-rigged a small lawnmower motor engine to the back of the kayak. After months of planning, on a moonless night, they set out into the treacherous streets of Florida with only their swimsuits on. They had enough food and water for two days. After three days, the US Coast Guard rescued the couple just south of Florida Keys, a distance of some 93 miles. Now, Scotland's 21 miles away. 93 miles in the open sea on a homemade, untested, tiny canoe is some journey. Was it worth the risk? Miranda said, when one has grown up in liberty, you realize how important it is to have freedom. We live in the enormous prison, which is Cuba where one's life is not worth one crumb, 
where one goes out into the street and does not know whether or not one will return because the political police can arrest you without any warning and put you in prison. Before this could happen to us, we thought that going into the ocean and risking death or being eaten by sharks is a million times better than to stay suffering under political oppression. Yes, we all want to break free. It's so important. But what is freedom? As I've said, most seem to assume real freedom is when you can do whatever you like, when you like, and be answerable to no one. Let me suggest that if that was the case, if there were therefore no rules, no laws, because rules and laws are a restriction on our freedom, we would therefore all be living in houses made of eight feet thick reinforced concrete, our cars would be armour-plated and the windows bulletproof, because those who want to live in such freedom can simply come out and kill you for the sheer fun of it. There's no law, there's no rule, they can do what they want. Even crossing the street would be very difficult, because someone might be flying down the street doing 200 miles an hour, and they're free to do so. When we think of a freedom like that, it isn't freedom, it's anarchy. Then think of the story of the widow of a young businessman who was killed in a car accident. She'd been left with several small children to raise and her elderly mother to care for. Over the years, she devoted herself wholeheartedly and lovingly to the task. She had nursed her mother through a long terminal illness. She had supported and guided her children through adolescence and the teenage years. And then, when the youngest child graduated from university, the widow said this, For so long I have wanted to be free. I've wanted to be out from under all those responsibilities. But I'm actually worse off than before. Because for the life of me, I cannot figure out what I am free for. Freedom, you see, needs a purpose. And that is the position of most of humanity. They seek a false freedom that is actually an imprisonment, for they haven't a clue what real freedom is. Today we hear people talking about my, free, my truth or your truth, when neither is actually true. There is only one truth in the universe, and it is God's truth, and that is revealed to us in Scripture. It tells us not only how to confront the things that oppress us, and how to deal with the heavenly responsibilities that enclose us, but also it tells us what we are freeing ourselves up for. That is the very theme of Scripture, to tell us why we have been created and to tell us what our human life is ultimately for. You see, the one essential ingredient in order to have freedom, and it sounds like the exact opposite of freedom, 
But the one essential ingredient for freedom is obedience. For us to be free, we need rules, laws, and those that uphold them. Without that, there can be no freedom. Obedience. But we have a problem with obedience. Tell us not to do this or not to do that, and it's the one thing we want to do. And the reverse is also true. Order us to do something, and it's the last thing we want to do. In other words, we rebel. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Romans 7, 18 and 19. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Obedience is very much out of fashion today. Modern thinking is do whatever pleases you. Yet think of a really good loving marriage. It may seem there are no rules, no laws, but there actually are. Out of love and respect for each other, one spouse would never do something to really annoy or hurt the other. You simply, over the years, as you get to know each other more and more, have probably hundreds of rules in your head. And because of love, you don't even realize it. Because of love, they are no burden. They are a delight. Ephesians 5.33 However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. But isn't that what our relationship with God should be like? He has set down rules, the Ten Commandments, and out of love for him, they become not a burden, not or something to rebel against. We simply absorb them and live by them to please him. They become a delight to us. Lack of obedience to him is the reason for much of the aimlessness and the frustration about life that we see all around us, even at times when we stray in our own lives. But no amount of talk can reverse this unless and until we begin to acquire a genuine love for God and his law. It's not imprisoning us, it actually frees us. When we see the joy in obedience to God, a power is released that begins to lift the burden of aimlessness out of our lives. There is the fable of the birds. It's a story about creation. And in it, all the newly made animals are walking around discovering what it's like to be alive, all except the birds. They're doing nothing but complaining because God has given them a heavy burden that he, hasn't give, that he hasn't given to any other animal. And that awkward appendages on their shoulders is what God has given them. So they reckon God must be punishing them somehow. Why do they have to carry these things around, making it hard to walk, they ask. Why? Why us? Finally, two or three of the more adventurous birds begin to move their appendages. 
they begin to flatter them. And soon they discover that the very thing that they regard as a burden actually makes it possible for them to fly. And no other animal can fly. The heavy burden turned out to be a beautiful gift. Many of us act like those silly birds. We regard God's call to obedience as an awkward appendage on our lives, weighing us down. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. Heavy burden it is, until we discover that God's law is really the wind of the Spirit, enabling us to fly as no other creature can. Jesus began his public ministry by proclaiming the gospel in the streets of Galilee. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, Mark 1.15. Jesus was telling the people that in order to have the burden of aimlessness lifted from their shoulders, they need to change. They needed to develop a whole new attitude and approach to life. Life can be satisfying now. The time of fulfillment is at hand, Jesus said. But you can experience genuine fulfillment only on the level of faith. Burdens and responsibilities inevitably are thrust upon us. That's life. There is no escaping that for any of us. The desire to be free of burdens and responsibilities inevitably follows. That too is life. We want to get out from under. <clears throat> but left to our own resources, there is no way we can come to terms with life in any fulfilling sense. Left to our own resources, it's always, what's it all about, Alfie? Or as the widow put it, for so long I wanted to be out from under. Now I am free, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out what I am free for. In ob if obedience to God's law means change, then change. A husband was in big trouble for getting his wife's birthday. His wife told him, Tomorrow there better be something in the driveway for me that goes from naught to 200 in two seconds flat. The next morning the wife found a small package in the driveway. She opened it and found a brand new set of scales. <laughs> the husband's funeral has been set for Saturday. Have you ever forgotten something? Birthdays, anniversaries, names, an important appointment? It's so easy to forget. It happens often to everybody, to God's people. In the book of Judges, there is a cycle that is repeated many times. Forgetting God, calamity. Remembering God, deliverance. And forgetting God again. And so it went on. And we so easily forget to get down to the basic work of learning and knowing and obeying the will of God. Think of Jesus and you think of action. Come, go, take up your bed and walk, follow me, heal the sick, help one another. 
Think about your marriage and how it might be different if you would begin to act according to God's commands. Think about your relationship with your children, about your work, about your attitude to other people's hurts and sufferings, even about the way you drive your car. Think about the difference you might make if we were to begin to move forward in obedience to God's command. Finish more or less with this. A university professor give his students a chance to evaluate his course. One of them said this, I like the course, but I feel very strongly that the professor puts too much responsibility for learning on the students. Mm, yes, but that's our problem. We like God's course. We wouldn't be here today if we didn't. What we don't like is that he puts so much responsibility on us as students. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, it's actually the opposite of thinking it's a heavy burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. If you want to be truly free from the burden of aimlessness, flutter your wings and fly into the arms of the Lord Jesus. There you will discover what you are free for. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord our God, yes, we so often rebel against your rules, your laws, and yet only in them can we ever find freedom. We keep trying to do it our own way, and every time it fails, and yet we seem never to learn. Again, forgive us. Help us to be drawn closer to you, than indeed we may love you more and more, and follow you more closely. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing praise is the newer version of Amazing Grace.
Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.